Blog Talk Radio. Yes. 
It, okay, this is Annie. Hi, Annie. How are you? I'm good, except I'm not at home, so I can't see a computer. I'm on the phone in a car. Uh, me too. Me too. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. For some reason, I couldn't get any signal anywhere in the house. So I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm doing this show in the car. <laughs> so, <laughs> loads of fun, loads of fun, right? So. We still there? Hello? I am. That was weird. What was that? <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. So, well, um, welcome. Are we ready to run with this? We are indeed. Take it over. All right. Well, tonight I wanted to uh, follow along a topic that I have actually been studying and I have spoken about um, a couple different times this week. And it seems like a very simple question, but if you dig into it, you find out that it's so much deeper than we really want to understand sometimes. And I thought, well, I've already talked about it a couple times, but I haven't talked about it to this group. And this group is special and dear to my heart because of my past um, and because of, you know, the fact that I have written about true crime and worked as a victim's advocate for so long. And uh, I thought, well, you know, sometimes the people that are listening here, we like to think that everyone has already gone from victim to vitality. And we would like to think those that are in vitality are going to constantly be there. But sometimes we have relapses, and that is normal. Um, sometimes that we, we find that those things and those chapters that we think have been closed in our lives have all of a sudden reopened, and we thought we'd already dealt with this, and here we are dealing with it again. So I thought I'm going to go ahead and ask everyone that's listening now and those that are listening to the replay, who are you? Who are you really? Now, we might say, well, my name is, or we might say I am related to so-and-so, or I grew up here, or my job title is, you know, we always try to find common ground when we're talking to, to a new person or trying to introduce ourselves. We're trying to find something that we can relate to the person we're talking to. And sometimes we're trying to find something that maybe we think they'll like um, and will, you know, ingratiate us with the person that we're just now introducing ourselves to. But in reality, we are none of those. We are not our name. We are not our, our job description. And I wanted to bring out, especially to this group, we are not our survivor story. We are not the, the chaos that we've come through. We are not victims anymore. We are not those things. But sometimes we have been hurt so deeply, um, and we have literally – embedded this label so deep down in our subconscious minds that we think that uh, we have forgotten about it. We think that it's okay. We think we've, we've, we've gone past that. We've worked through all the trauma. But then way down deep, something will trigger us, and we will find out that those things since childhood that we thought we had all taken care of and boxed up neat with a bow and it's over there and it's not bothering me. Sometimes we find out that that thing is still there. It's still influencing our behavior. It is still 
to the point that it could uh, cause us to make maybe decisions that we wouldn't normally make or it might cause us to back out of an opportunity because we are unsure of ourselves. And so tonight I want to really get into who are you and what can you do when you find out that you are having a label that maybe doesn't serve you anymore. You see, we have two different parts of our minds. Our minds are made up of the conscious and the subconscious. Now, if you study different types of uh, self-help and personal development and things, you will find that um, there's this little graphic that I shared to a group. I made a Facebook event group so you guys could uh, see the graphics that I'm talking about. I put them in there. But, um, <clears throat> excuse me, some of the different um, self-help gurus, they use this little they said, what is the mind? And, and they show this big round circle with a, as, as the head of a, of a stick man. And then they have a line going through the middle of the, of the circle, and they say you have your conscious and your subconscious. But the more I studied, the more I found out that your conscious mind only controls about 5% of your existence. Your subconscious controls 95% of who you are. All of those gut reactions that you don't think about and you just do, all of those emotional responses that you sit back and think, why did I do that? Why did I say that? All of those things that are just automatic muscle memory type things, that is being controlled by that subconscious. And unfortunately, those labels that we have accepted um, are way down deep in there. And so when I come across some people that are still struggling uh, to get from victim to vitality, they, they will say, well, I'm a victim of domestic violence or I'm a victim of, of, you know, this or I'm a victim of that or I was, you know. And, and this is how they're trying. We think, well, that's just words. That's just they're trying to relate to us what's happened to them. But it's more than that. We get to telling ourselves these things, and we start believing them, and it starts affecting our behavior. And once it affects our behavior, it literally changes the world around us. It changes our reality. And unfortunately, anything that is extremely emotional, now, if you can say an affirmation and be extremely emotional about it, you can literally reprogram your subconscious really quickly. But the problem with affirmations is we look in the mirror and we say, I am, I am powerful, I am strong, I am beautiful, I am capable. Well, half of those things, we're not emotionally attached to those things. We may not believe it. And so we, it takes a long time to reprogram. Unfortunately, for people that are probably listening into this call or might be listening to the replay, Something has happened in our past, in a chapter of our lives, that has triggered extreme emotion. And it has literally, it's like it super glued that label to our subconscious mind to the point that we can't hardly get it off because that emotion was so powerful in that moment. So it's going to take more work to detach that label and but it's possible and so this is what we want to understand when we go um, to ask ourselves who am I 
I want you guys to take a minute and I want you to think, who am I? And then write down all the things that come up. Write down, you know, all of the good things, all the bad things. Write everything down. And then I want you to scan through that list and I want you to think, is this label serving me now? Is this label something I'm proud of? Is this label something that um, is hurting me? Is this label even mine? Now, that might sound funny, but so many times society pressures us to be a certain way or the society around us, you know, if you were raised in an extremely religious environment or a a non-religious environment, if you was raised in a, you know, a Whatever kind of environment you're raised in, that little society around you is going to influence you. And sometimes we take these labels on that aren't even ours. We take on these labels because we think it's what's expected of us. And we don't have to keep those. And so tonight when we we get to talking, I hope you guys will understand and feel empowered to change those labels, you know, Some labels are going to peel off real easy. Some labels are going to be hard to peel off. They're going to come off in pieces and shreds. Some of them are going to leave this ooey, sticky stuff that you're going to have to be scraping off for a while. But I hope that by the end of this call, you guys will be empowered to go ahead and start the process of peeling back those labels that aren't serving you. So, Annie, is there anyone on the call that wants to jump in real quick while I grab a drink? Uh, yes, I'm Lori, if, if I'm on. I don't know if you could hear me. I can hear you. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm Lori. Um, I used to be on the show years ago, like seven years ago on the panel for a while. Uh, a lot of medical well, problems. Back. Yeah, I'm getting there. Uh, I'm an old-timer on here, so when I'm listening to what you're saying, I'm picturing first thing is she's driving while she's on the phone. No, I'm not driving. I am parked. (laughs) I am in a parking lot. No, I am I'm in a parking lot because I'm thinking, no, if I drive, I'm going to get distracted and and I take every every time I go talk to anywhere, I take it seriously. So I have literally got a stack of notes in the seat beside me, and I'm thinking, uh, there is no way under the sun I can drive and talk on the phone and look at notes at the same time. I don't That's want right. to end up in some sort of accident. So I was like, no, I am parked. Excellent <laughs> I, uh, decision. Now, I may have to move spots periodically so I don't – uh, you know, some uh, law enforcement officer doesn't think I'm, you know, uh, trying to squat in a parking lot or something. But <laughs> like I am, I am, I'm sitting still. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, so I'm listening to you, and the first thing that came to my mind. Oh, excuse me for one sec. <clears throat> oh, I'm back. I'm so sorry. I have medical problems going on here. Okay. Um, um, the labeling thing. This is what I was getting into with you. Um, I've not really been on the subject so much of the labeling because um, probably because my attitude is I don't really care what anyone thinks of me and um, or how I appear to them because I'm really me. 
And what I found out who me is without the label is just the person that I came on this planet for other people. I'm not really here. I'm more of a caretaker. Uh, I've accepted that for, you know, forever. It's all that I've done. And it's, you know, maybe not brought me to a place where I could have been, but, you know, it is who I am. And when I finally, you know, got through the abuse and all the other kind of crap and had my own son, um, aside from the two that I lost, I had to go through those that crap too. I ducked out of this world when my son was born because he's handicapped and he had drawn me totally into his world. So though I've healed and gotten through a lot of the stuff, a lot of the labels of people and a lot of the attitudes, you know, of of what went through and what went down, because I had to deal with schools and doctors and hospitals and all this other stuff. I, my path led me down a different actual path. So, you know, I'm glad that I did come on tonight because I never really thought about um, labeling myself. Uh, but recently, in the last couple of days, I'm learning that the healing actually really does go on even when you think you're done. And I honestly thought I was done. You know, it's 39 years already. Um, I do for other people, and it I'm all right with that, you know. So I don't know what to label me. I have no idea what to label me. Label yourself amazing. Right, right. There you go. And you said it was Maury? Was your name? No, I'm Lori. It's uh, L-A-U-R-I-E. Lori. Yeah. Lori. Yeah. Well, Lori, this is what I, I, I hear when you're when you're speaking. You're you're talking about how you have served other people, and that is wonderful. That is wonderful to be able to say I have spent 39 years serving serving humanity. I've served people. I have been here for others. I have been here, you know, and that is, people don't realize is that is really what humanity is supposed to be for. We're not supposed to be fighting amongst each other about religion and politics and, and, and money and all these things. We're supposed to be, uh, more community-minded and more there to help each other. Um, and that, that is wonderful and a powerful thing. Um, but this is one thing you want to understand. When you go through and think, well, who am I? I'm Lori. Well, what is Lori? Lori's a name. You are more than your past experiences. You're more than your physical body. I mean, if you think about it, everybody thinks, okay, well, here's a physical body. This is me. But if you think about it, what is looking out of your eyes? And I'm not trying to get esoteric or religious, but there's something, and most people understand that there's something that is looking out of this this uh, this thing that we are in. You know, we are... You know, we we relate things back to the movies because it's, it's things that people can understand. But what is this thing that we are riding around in? You know, because you look out of your eyeballs. You are not your eyeballs, but you are looking through them. What is that? You know, and people call it spirit. People call it soul. People call it energy. Uh, you know, different things. 
So what is that energy for you? What is that soul to you? You know, and this is where we want to really understand that our belief systems, our paradigms, our, our, our labels, all of these things come from something that's deep embedded inside that essence that is inside this, this form that we see. And so what we want to understand is when we get to where we can look in the mirror and really see past what's physically there, that is where we can start seeing ourselves. We're not actually this physical person, you know, and this is one thing that, you know, if you've, if you've been a victim of violent crime and you've gone through therapy, there are some, type, some branches of therapy that try to help you understand this. Something drastic and violent had, may have happened to this physical form, but you that is inside you have the choice to be, you can step beyond that. You know, this is something that you can recover from. This is something that you can continue on and exist because your energy, whatever you want to call that, your energy is going to push forward and it's going to continue. And then we're going, then you're going to have to figure out who you are again. See, sometimes people want to, so desperately be um, in these labels. They want to categorize themselves as, you know, I was a preacher's daughter, so, you know, I always try to hold this standard um, because everybody holds preacher's kids at a different standard. And then you find out that everybody is just putting you up on a pedestal so they can push you off and talk about you later, you know. And so, so you realize after a certain bit of time that that's a label. Yes, I am a, a daughter of a pastor. But does that mean what I thought it meant all these years? No, it just happens to be somebody that I am related to. You know, it does not mean that I have to hold a specific standard that some random person says, well, you're a preacher's kid, so you have to. That is their their standard. It's not my own. But so many times we get to the point where we feel like we have to uphold their standards for us and in reality it's not possible because their standard is for them it's not necessarily for you now of course there's certain things in society that you have to do to have a peaceful existence you know you can't have everybody being violent and vicious towards each other you can't there's certain rules that you must follow there's universal laws out there that govern how this planet and everything on it operates. And so you really have to understand that there is things that you can do to cause yourself to reap the benefits or the negative benefits of whatever your actions are. But to hold someone else's label and paste it to your chest and then be upset when that label hurts you this is where we need to understand we have control of pulling it off. Now, Lori, when I would, uh, when I, if I was to ask you, uh, what do you want to be now? You've, you've accomplished, you said you've been, you thought you were done, and you have had 39 years of, of serving others and helping others. What do you want to be the next 39 years? 
If you were to live um, 139 years, what would you want to do? Basically what I was put on this earth to do. Um, I came down with a gift, and my my gift is uh, embroidery, a world of threads. Um, I'm a museum embroiderer uh, since I was 40, which is like 25 years ago. Uh, One Mm -hmm. of a kind, I do unique art and whatnot. And it's a gift, you know. So um, doing that, my world is, uh, could be a lot worse. I'm a child abuse survivor, but I was the caretaker of of that family too, so... It really mm-hmm. has been me taking care of people and getting injured from people not taking care of me. But I still see the world, uh, and I look at flowers when I look out of my eyes because I surrounded myself with them. Uh, all my art is on there. Everything I, I see is in color, you know, mm-hmm. and it overtakes any kind of thoughts from... You know, many, many years ago because I I had accepted that and, you know, it was. Um, I'm not where probably God or somebody up whoever gave me the gift wanted me to be. It's like I haven't lived my potential, but that's because I have a handicapped child and I was abused mm-hmm. and, you know, stunted my and growth. So, um but that doesn't bother me. <laughs> it really doesn't bother me because I know I'm on the mission down here. And yeah. when you were about, like, talking and then you used the phrase about uh, looking in the mirror and whatnot, uh, I'm one of the people that actually only look in the mirror one time a day, and it's just to comb my hair because I know I'm on the inside more than what I'm looking at in the mirror. You know, mm-hmm. so... As as messed up as um, people think that I am, medically, I am. That's a true thing. But in my head, I don't connect that I'm a messed up person. It's my body that's messed up. My mind is Mm -hmm. messed up, but I've been able to uh, work with it and come Mm -hmm. to realize that I was born. um, I wouldn't have picked the name Lori, but... I was born person uh, in a situation. I dealt the best that I could with it. I survived it. Um, Mm -hmm. I thrived compared to what my my sister and brother did. Um, uh, Maybe like not my potential. My aunt really, you know, got on me about I could do more with my art. Now concentrate less on my son. But once he was born, I did gave up me literally and became his caretaker. But mm-hmm. as at 65, which I am now, I find myself back at NASCA, um, bouncing back again from so many years of medical problems that it, even though I look bad and, and, you know, it's sad that, you know, all the care that I do need, the inside of me is okay with that because I'm not concentrating on the body. I'm concentrating yes. on what I can still do. And I like Perfect. to make things for kids. You know, that's mm-hmm. always been my thing. So I'm a, mm-hmm. I, I donate pillows. I donate crochet. That's all. I've done that. That's, that's my purpose in life. That's who I mm-hmm. am. So 
once I think a person knows really who they are and what to expect from knowing, you know, knowing and just accepting it as opposed to what you want and you can't have because you're in a situation that won't lead you there. Um, I went straight, you know, straight down the line. I, I was born knowing this, who I was. And my values mm-hmm. today are the same as my values when I was a very, very little kid. I had morals mm-hmm. and values, and they haven't changed no matter with everything mm-hmm. that happened to me. Right. So I consider myself in a see? pretty good place. Right. Well, that's fabulous. That's fabulous. Do you find that you have – here's the only only thing I have a question about. While you're taking care of everyone else, do you stop to take care of yourself? Because showing love to those around you is wonderful. Bringing light and bringing color and bringing your art to the world to make other people smile is is a great thing. But you also need to find make sure that you have the um the time and the and the ability to bring color and and light and art into your into your own world what are you doing for your yourself what are you doing for your mental health um you know your physical well-being that you, you know if you if your body is physically handicapped you can only do so much you know but Sometimes I know we get in this mode of thinking, who am I? I'm here for you. I'm here for you and for you and for you. But then we literally give to our own detriment. We literally have helped and supplied and supported everyone and everything except for ourselves. And then we find ourselves at uh, a degraded space where we could have been more or we should be more or we think we should be more and there's a hinge of regret there and so we want to really make sure that while we're giving to you and giving to you and you and you and giving you know to those that we love we want to make sure instead of depending on them to take care of you we want to make sure that you take care of you as well because all of those over there are in their own world. See, we all think we live on the same world, in the same realm, in the same reality, but our minds create the reality we think the world is. And and if you can think about it, it's almost like we're all, um, we're all in our own little invisible hamster balls and we're all wriggling around this way and that way and this way and that way, and we think our hamster ball is really what the world is. And we bump into that hamster ball, and we're like, oh, welcome to our world. And they're like, no, 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 welcome to my world. Okay? But see, everybody is in their own little hamster balls, banging around against each other, and they get so busy in their own little scurrying about that they forget to take care of you. And this is where the problem comes in. If you're going to wait for them over there to take care of you, what happens if they don't? What happens 
if 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 those that you care so much for don't turn around and give back to you with what see if you have an empathic personality which it seems like you have a very caring personality but if you have an empathic personality it's almost like you care more for them than they do for you and it's not that way it's just that's the way their brain and their you know their electronic switching station which is really what your brain is that's the way their switching station operates versus the way yours operates. But unfortunately, we get so emotionally attached, giving our hearts, tearing it out of our chest and handing it to them, and then we get hurt when they don't give us theirs or when they only give us a piece of it. And so I don't know, you know, uh, Lori, I'm just using you as an example. You probably, you may not do this, but just giving you as an example for anybody that might be listening, when you care for others, make sure you take time to care for yourself too because them over there in their little hamster ball may be so wound up trying to keep up with their day-to-day scurrying about that they don't fit you into their hamster ball. And you guys don't, they don't give you the love back. And you need to make sure that you are filled and taken care of because they may not be able to, because they're just human. They can't fulfill all of that that you need. They can't do it. And so when when we are constantly looking for someone out there to fulfill that in our heart that we need, there's going to be times where you're disappointed. There's going to be times where you find that they aren't capable of loving you the way you love them. And so anybody that might be listening, like I said, this may not pertain to you, Lori. You you seem to have things pretty well, you know, put together emotionally, and that is wonderful, but I met Every one of you that I've met that has it together, I've met 10 that haven't, you know. So I appreciate you jumping on the call, Lori, and and speaking with us because it kind of gives people hope that, hey, I may not be to the spot where I'm okay with the things and who I've become, but Lori's there, so maybe I can get there too. So I, I appreciate you coming on, Lori. It's it's very helpful. I'm glad you're here. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, I find you very interesting. I honestly do. <laughs> yeah, I take notes as I as I listen. So you know, oh. I forget a lot. Well, I hope it helps you. <laughs> I hope it so, helps you. I no. do. Okay. What I do for myself um, to make me you know do everything what you just said is I create. Um, mm-hmm. I create things that appeal to my eye, appeal to my soul, and uh, just make me feel really comfortable. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and I stayed. Uh, right. I'm in the process of moving to another house, but the house that I have yeah. now, uh, I use my ceiling, I use my floors, I use my walls. I, everything in here is art. My entire house is art. That's what I do for me because uh-huh. I love I love to create color, you know, uh-huh. that's a, that's a Lori thing. Um, that's perfect. That's perfect. Yeah, I mean, uh, and my guys, 
I do keep myself busy because my guys are a uh, not really helpful. My son, because of his, he's bipolar and plus a whole bunch of other stuff. So mm-hmm. he doesn't, he doesn't, he, he doesn't have empathy. I, I am an empath, yeah. definitely. Yeah. But he doesn't mm-hmm. have that. So I don't expect, right. you know, I don't expect that either one of them to put in as much as I put in to take care of them. You mm-hmm. know, I already know mm-hmm. that that, that it, it didn't, ha- it doesn't happen. You know, mm-hmm. in my life, it happens. I'm sure in other people's lives. Yeah. But it right. it does it didn't happen in my life. So I took the alternative, right? I mean, the a way to keep my time and whatever energy I had. And you know, I did the yeah. thing. I wrote my book. You know, um, mm-hmm. you know, I I my major thing that I wish I could still do, which is a totally Lori thing, is I love to ride Harleys. That that's my love. I'm a biker, and to my ears, the sounds of those pipes is the best medicine that anybody has ever given me, and has put me in the best place. So that that's what I used to do for myself. You know, I would ride, and I would spread the world because I would ride with a club that always was, um, you know, fighting for abused kids. You know. Yeah. I was always yeah. doing all my own thing. And I've always been, like, in body braces, so I'm not a secret, you know, to anyone. A lot of people will come up and ask, you know, like, what what, what happened to you? But I decorate mm-hmm. them in flowers because it puts my frame of mind in a better mm-hmm. place. So I need to do right. that. So it's Definitely. like I had a, I learned just, like, how to keep balance. Whatever goes down, well, there's got to be something else that's going to bring me through because it has in the past. And since I've gotten to this age, whatever I was doing, it actually worked. So I say stick Mm -hmm. with it. Perfect. I love it. I love it. I love it. Okay, Mm -hmm. is there anyone else on the call that would like to, to chat with me for a bit? Can you hear me? Hey, Shinova. This is Annie. Can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Hi. Okay, because sometimes my hearing thing doesn't work well. Um, Yeah, I can hear you. Good, thanks. I'd like to say that um, I am a lot like you as a caller in that I'm already completely healed from being a survivor of childhood sexual abuse. And... Being a childhood sexual abuse survivor label used to be my whole life. Uh-huh. It was after I retired, I, I was really sick, and all I did was recovery. Do uh, uh-huh. um, go to meetings, be on meetings on the phone, on the computer, all about recovery, and it was my like 24 hours a day. But I'm not that yeah. person anymore. Yeah, I'm be- I'm yeah. somewhere else now. Yeah, and that's I think what when I when I first came into NASA when I first uh, when I first heard about it, that's what I felt like the whole purpose of the of the program is the group is to show people that you've got people in different stages of of recovery, and then but then you've got some people that have overcome and then they have they have come back almost to encourage those that are still in the trenches to give them hope that there's, there's ability to change. And I, I think, you know, I'm kind of new to NASCA, but from, 
what I understand, that's kind of what it's for. Um, you know, if I'm wrong, uh, feel free to correct me. I'm I'm not one of those that think I know it all. <laughs> but that seems to me like that's what this is for, is to, to kind of encourage people and let them know whatever stage you're in, there's hope of something better. There's hope of getting to the next level, getting to the next stage. Absolutely. Yes. So um, tonight, uh, Cricket, did you say you, are you on there? I thought I heard Cricket. Yes, can you, can you hear me? Yes. Did you have something you wanted to add? Yeah, when um, you were talking about, like, who are you? Mm-hmm. I know what I'm not. <laughs> These are the things I grew, I grew up he- hearing constantly. I was stupid. Uh-huh. I wasn't going to amount to anything. I'm no good for nothing, like, constantly that was being drilled into my head. And I'm none of those things. (laughs) Agreed. And, see, that is so, so important. I'm glad you brought that up. Sometimes people are like, well, I'm glad that you have reached your level of vitality, but how the heck do I get there? How do I start? And sometimes... The first step you need to do is is figure out what are you not, you know, and that's the reason why I made a whole list of things here. You're not, you know, when we were talking about the different issues that I had growing up in the very first time I came on the show as a guest, um, I was thinking that to compensate for what the the internal suffering and things that I was dealing with, you know, mentally – that I never would express to other people, I always felt inferior. So I felt like my value, um, if someone would ask you, uh, hey, who are you? I would say, I am. And then I would spout off a whole list of accomplishments because I thought that was who, that was who I was. I did this, I did this, I did this, you know, and that wasn't me. That wasn't who that essence is that's inside looking out my blue eyes. There, That's not who this is. And so sometimes to get started on your journey, you have to understand what you are not. And that is perfect, Cricket. You are not stupid. You are not those things. And this is one of those things that I'm always, um, if my kids, my kids do, you know, are, are crazy little kids, you know, uh, uh, one of them's not really little. He's bigger than me and bigger than his dad. Now he's 17. And, um, uh, but, uh, you know, he, he, they do crazy things. They do things that they shouldn't do. You know, I'll get upset with them. You know, I'll, I'll correct them when they do something wrong, you know, or whatever. I'll try to guide them to what they should do, but the thing that makes me angry, just downright angry, is when they start telling, saying something, I'm stupid, or I, I'm, I'm just too stupid to get this, I can't do it, and that just lights a fire in me, and I tell them, I said, do not say that, absolutely not, so they know one way to really make mommy mad is to tell me that they're stupid, you know, and I'm like, you know, you cannot say those things to yourself because you keep saying those things. 
You keep telling yourself how incapable you are. You will not overcome that until you stop taking that label upon yourself. And this is, you know, I kind of go back to the label thing. We accept these labels. We have the ability to relabel ourselves. We can rip those labels off and put something else there, you know. And so I I love that you brought that up. What am I not? And and that may be what you need to do, you know, those that are listening. That may be what you need to do to start and just say, who am I and what am I not? You know, so that that's perfect, Cricket. I'm glad you brought that up. Is there anybody else Thanks. want to say something? Yeah, this is uh, Victoria Kelly. Hello, how are and, you? Uh, hi, I'm good. Um, I'm supposed to be helping uh, um, be the trailer on the show, but I got on late. I'm sorry about that. Um, That's okay. But, but I did, I've, I've heard quite a bit of what you said, and I can totally relate. Um, I'll be 61 at the end of the month, and uh, the, my first psych visit was when I was 21, and I just uh, escaped from my biological father, who I call my sperm donor. And uh-huh. I couldn't put three words together. And uh-huh. I shook all the time. And I was scared of everything. Anytime any kind of a noise, I would just literally jump out of my skin. Uh-huh. And I hated myself. Totally hated myself. I was into a lot of self-harm. Um, uh-huh. Actually, after I started getting into therapy, <laughs> I started getting into a lot of self-harm. And, uh, yeah. yeah, I got a medallion in the hospital, and it had a bear on one side, which I loved. And then I turned it around, and it said, to thine own self be true. And I went, yep. what the hell does that mean? So every group mm-hmm. I went to, they'd say, what do you want to talk about? And I'd say, well, I want to ask you a really question. What does to thine own self be true mean? <laughs> uh-huh. okay. I didn't know. And they're like, well, you know, like, what's your favorite color? What do you like to do? What do you this? What do you that? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. You know, I had no idea because I just, you know, always did what I expect, figured everybody expected of me, you know, and yeah. I got, I don't know who was talking about the, you know, you're lazy, you're stupid, you're, you know, all you're good for is um, to, you're put on this earth basically in my mind, you know, this wasn't said to me, but this is what I believe because of the way I was treated was put on this earth to sexually satisfy men. You know, that was mm-hmm. what I believed I was put on the earth for, you know. And, uh, yeah, so I had a lot of, you know, really messed up beliefs. And so I started doing this myself. I took a notebook out, and I turned the first page, and on the left side I wrote down things that I was told, like, you know, I am an idiot, I am stupid, I am, you know, um, ugly, or I am I'm beautiful, and that's the only value I have, and, you know, my body, mm-hmm. you know, I can sexually satisfy men, whatever, all the way down and then I went to the other side, and I'd write almost just the opposite, you know. I'd done a lot of, you know, very smart things, and I put one line through the side on the left. And I don't know. I must have done 20 pages for this. And then I mm-hmm. went back, and I started reading. What I, I just put one thin line through so I could read it, and I read it. And then I looked over to the right, and as I kept going back and reading it, and I kept writing more and more and more, um, go back and start reading it, and I realized that my ideas about myself had changed. And it mm-hmm. was because I wanted to be on the other side, you know. Right. Um, right. I, was, I always called myself crazy. I'm crazy, I'm crazy, I'm crazy. And 
this wonderful woman said, you are not crazy. What was done to you was crazy. You are yeah. reacting normally to the crazy situation you were put in. And yeah. now if somebody says I'm crazy, I say, you know what? Some people call me crazy and some people call me for advice. Yes. <laughs> you know, well, I really, kind of, I really quote Alice in Wonderland and I say all the best people are, you know, from yeah, Alice in Wonderland. Exactly. You know, well, but you know, and that's perfect. Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, you know, the, the, the guy gets all excited, the teacher gets all excited about, you know, the golden ticket and this and this and this and that. And, and he goes to the psychiatrist, the psychiatrist says, you know what the definition of crazy is? Believing that, that something wonderful is going to happen and you're going to have all kinds of joy and excitement. It's something like that, you know. And, and I was watching my grandchild and I looked at my grandchild and said, hey, I told the grandma was crazy. <laughs> yeah, no. You see, what you but, what you, you know, just outlined that you did is is you were literally relabeling yourself. You were reprogramming your subconscious mind with that exercise. See, I I don't have the statistics with me, so I I may not have the numbers exactly right. But we only remember about thirty percent of what we read or what we've been told. What we write yeah. down, we learn a little more. What we yeah. what we read and rewrite and read and rewrite, you know, by doing that, you are implanting that into your subconscious mind. And what yeah. you were doing there, whether you realized it or not, you were ripping off that label. And this is what I want people to understand. There well, is a changing, that, yeah. I was talking about changing belief systems, you know, yes. and, it, and yes. you know, some, um, I learned that, you know, like, um, they told me, you know, um, if you've been told a hundred times you're worth a piece of shit, you know, it's going to take at least a hundred times to either you tell yourself or somebody else tells you you're not that, you're that, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Yes. And I listen to, they're called yeah. reprogramming. It's it's a thing on YouTube I listen to, and she's got a whole bunch of stuff. Her name is Jess Shepard, and it's uh, Rising Higher Meditation. And she starts a lot of them by saying, you know, um, just repeat these words after me, and basically don't make judgment. Well, when I first started listening, you have a bad angel. You know, I'm a morning mm-hmm. person, and I, oh, yeah, right, you know. And, and it was it's really hard to not make that comment that no I'm not, no, I'm not. Right. automatically you know right you know, right. Same way right. Goes, oh your hair looks really nice or you got a really nice outfit oh this whole thing i got at goodwill i don't pay the quarter for it i had it for years you know so now when people say that i go just say thank you yeah <laughs> you know, yeah. Well, because what we're doing there is we're discounting their compliment because yeah. as a society, we've been taught to be humble and not be arrogant and, and stuck up. And so we literally think by doing that, we're showing our humility. But what we're doing is we're discounting their compliment and we're reprogramming our subconscious mind for the negative. You know, and this is I told, where I told, oh, I told somebody when I give you a compliment, um, Please just accept it, I said, because it's like me handing you a nice wrapped gift that I went and spent a whole bunch of time finding for you. And you go, no, I don't yeah. even want that. Yeah, yeah. and that's exactly well, I, what it is. With, with me, um, it's just been probably since I joined the Guardian Angels in 2014 that I've been able to accept compliments as compliments. Mm-hmm. Because to mm-hmm. me, 
if he said anything nice or complimented me, did anything, I would go it get, get very, very uncomfortable. Yeah. Because to me, if you said something nice, you either wanted something, you were going to do something, you were going to hurt. Like, yeah. that, that's what was in my yeah. head. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you you. Yeah, I made I made the mistake of I made the mistake of saying something to my ex husband, and he never got me a card again. Yeah. Yeah. And then that hurts, you know. So you're like, well, dang it, you know. But that this is what (laughs) I want people to understand that are listening to this, because I know a lot of people are listening now, and then a lot of people will listen to the replay. But uh, there's something that I want to express before we continue uh, talking, because we're talking a lot about tearing off labels. Well, there is a a universal law that it it the the universe hates a vacuum, and so if you go tear off a label. You have to put something else there. And that's what I loved about her example of how she had the negative on one side. She X'd it out or put a line through, and then she put a positive. The reason why a lot of people have a hard time overcoming is because they want to get rid of the negative, but they don't replace it with anything. And if you don't replace that label with something that empowers you, then what's going to happen is you're going to fall back to that original label that hinders you. And so when you were writing things down negative here and putting the positive over here, it seems like such a simple exercise. And you think, well, how can that really help? It helps more than we understand because that's the way our brains function. But by doing that, you were not only ripping off those painful labels, you were replacing them with something else. And that is what made it so successful. You weren't just trying to take away. See, anybody that's trying to recover from addiction, they don't, they're not successful just taking away what they're addicted to. They have to find new habits. They have to find Mm -hmm. new things to put in there. So, Hopefully they don't move just from one addiction to another uh, addiction that hurts them. Hopefully they can remove the the harmful addiction and replace it with a good habit and a good thing. But you always replace it for something else. You never just take away and and expect well, it to I, stay. I'm in recovery too. I'm in recovery too. And when I started, like. They call them character defects. Well, I don't call them that. Mm-hmm. I call them coping mechanisms because that's how I survive. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So anyway, exactly. you know, I told my sponsor, I said, man, if I take away all those things, that's who I am. I'll be an empty shell, you know, exactly. and that's exactly, exactly what she said. You know, you mm-hmm. need to replace them with something. Just like I knew I was not going to be a good parent because I had all these old negative messages that were really screwed up. So I started parenting classes. To, you know, you know, learn how I wanted to pair my daughter. And my grandmother is like, oh, yeah, well, you don't need, you know, why do you do that, Michael? Because I want to be a better parent. And she mm-hmm. said, well, I never turned out, I never went to parenting class, so you turned out just fine. But, yeah, I first turned out fine. I'm in on a mental hospital. I got locked up in the state hospital. I'm disassociating. I got 31 personalities. Oh, yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> so, no, I didn't yeah. find fine. Which personality <laughs> do you think is fine? Half-dust, <laughs> insecure, neurotic, and emotional. That's fine. That's the kind yeah. of fine I was. 
you know, yeah. but the thing is, is that, um, you know, but also like people go, oh, look in the mirror and say, you're beautiful, you're wonderful, you know, you can do everything right, whatever, but you got to be realistic too. Do you agree with that? Yes, there is something that I like to call a BS filter in your brain. Um, It's called a reticular activating system is is the actual word, or you can call it RAS. Uh Um, But it is, I call it your BS filter. And what this RAS does is at the at the base of your of, of your of your brain, it's right there where your the back of your head where it connects to your brain stem. And what this does, this reticular activating system, it filters out what it thinks is important, and then it dismisses everything else. So you think you how many of you guys have went and bought a new pair of shoes or bought a new car or something, and and you had never seen them before, but then all of a sudden now you see them everywhere, you know. And then after a few months, you're like, you, you forget about it and you don't notice them everywhere. Well, those shoes were there before you bought them. The car was there before you bought it. It's just your brain has decided, oh, this is something important, so I'm going to pay attention to it. See, yeah. our brain filters out about 11 million bits of information every second of the day. Oh, yeah. So you're thinking, you know, uh, you're, you're thinking, okay, you don't think about the blood pulsing through your right hand at this moment. Yeah. And now that I said something, you might think about it. You know, you might look at your hand, you might, you know, but we filter out all of this because our electronic switching station can only handle so much information. Right. So, but what the problem is, is that filtration system, that BS filter that I call it, that filtration system works on that belief system and those labels that you have put down in that subconscious mind. So it's going to look for things to validate the labels you have. So if you are telling yourself that you're stupid, your brain is literally looking for things that you cannot do to validate that label that you have in there. And so yep. literally your BS filter, you say if you literally abhor your looks and you look in the mirror 10,000 times a day and say you're beautiful, your BS filter is going to call BS and kick it out every single time. That's the reason why you guys have got to understand that affirmations are powerful, but you have to do them the right way because you have to overcome that BS filter. You have to rip off that label in there, replace it with another label, and then that BS filter will start accepting those things. You know, mm-hmm. first of all, you might need to redefine what your concept of beauty is. You know, we're looking at all these all these uh, photoshopped people on all these magazines and, and, and TV shows and everything, Everything's so photoshopped that we've got our rags thinking that that's what beauty is. You know, sometimes, and then we look in the mirror and we don't add up and we're thinking, well, you tell, okay, I'm going to say, Sonova, you're beautiful, you're beautiful, you're beautiful. And that rags is saying BS because that's what beautiful is over there, you know. And so sometimes we have to work on our belief system before that filter will accept that affirmation that we're trying to tell ourselves in the mirror. Well, another thing, too, you know, I had to redefine the word success, you know, because mm-hmm. success in most people's eyes is a fancy car and fancy clothes and, you know, a, a fantastic job, you know, all this. 
And I had to redefine success for, you know, success to me is living a fantastic life, is, is doing the things that maybe I don't have the money to do, but I can find things that bring me pleasure and happiness. And to me, that is success. Right. I found the best definition I've ever heard of for success um, because I'm one of those people, I don't believe success is just monetary or just spiritual or just, uh, you know, relationship-wise. I believe you have to have success in every area of your life before you can count yourself as a true success because mm-hmm. we see this in Hollywood all the time. We see these people that make multi-millions of dollars and yet they are the most unhappy, uh, you know, drug-addicted people on the planet because they felt like they, uh, you know, dollar was their success. But mm-hmm. Earl Nightingale was a, a speaker. I can't remember. I think he died in the early 80s. But he said success is the progressive realization of a worthy ideal. And I thought, oh, my gosh, that means if you have in your head a worthy ideal, you have something that's worthy of your attention, you have something that is a worthy goal in your mind, and you are progressively chasing towards it, you're already a success. And I thought, wow, that completely Can you repeat that again? Yes. Can you repeat that again? Yes. Success is the progressive realization of a worthy ideal. The progressive realization of a worthy ideal, and it was it was uh, said by Earl Nightingale. You and should that, make a meme up with that. I, I I just thought of that. I was like, I need to make one of those. But see, that to me is so powerful because, you know, we was talking to uh, uh, what was her Lori uh, or Laura? I can't remember um, names are, are one of those. Lori, thank you. Um, and she was talking about her embroidery and her art. Well, and then she said something about someone saying she hasn't reached her potential and she should have done this and this and this with her art. Well, as long as her, she is still chasing that uh, worthy ideal, and as long as she has in her head this worthy ideal, maybe her worthy ideal is to just uh, bring something beautiful to somebody who's who's hurting at the moment. That is a worthy ideal, and as long as she's chasing it, she's already successful. You know. So this is this is wonderful. I I love that we have um, people on the call that we can discuss these things because all these things are 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 just stepping stones to get us from victim to vitality. You know, we think, well, I have to be like this. I need to be in, we look at Lori and we look at you and we think, okay, they've already attained this and this and this, so they must be successful and I'm not. Well, here's the thing. Your idea of success, your worthy ideal may not be embroidering and bringing beauty to somebody else. Your ideal might be in something else. You know, my worthy ideal is I want to, I want to help motivate and inspire people. I want to bring, uh, you know, help people, encourage them to, to enjoy their journey, whatever their journey is. I want, to, I want to inspire the world. You know, that's my worthy ideal. But it may not be somebody else's worthy ideal. Their worthy ideal might be 
like Lori was talking about before, her worthy goal was to take care of her son for 39 years or however long she had to, you know. So our worthy ideal might change throughout life, and and that is perfectly acceptable. And we need to understand that things are going to change, and sometimes your your this measure that we're trying to measure up to um, it may not be what you are supposed to do. It may not be your measurement. You know, I, I always, for a long time, I was never skinny enough. I was never, you know, I was never uh, exercised like a maniac, and I never could look the way I wanted to. And I'm five foot two and a half. I never could grow that extra half an inch. They measured me in seventh grade, and I never outgrew that other half an inch, you know. And so I'm looking huh. at all these photoshopped women that are six foot tall. I'm like, I'm never going to look like that. You know, I tell people, I make a joke. I said, well, you know, when God was, was handing out things, he just bonked me on the head. And so I'm, I, it just kind of squished me down and squished me out. So I am not uh, the little skinny, tiny little person. I, I'm, I'm. I'm a normal-sized woman that got squished down about four inches, you know. But, you know, once I got that out of my head that that was what I needed to look like and that's what I needed to reach for, I was so much happier with what I seen in the mirror, you know. Um, And that's that's kind of where we want to understand that BS filter back there, that reticular activating system, that thing works perfectly what what our hindrance is is it works like any other computer mechanism a computer works by what it's input in you put in certain criteria and the computer is going to work based on those little rules and criteria that you put into it well that's the way the the RAS works it's based off of its criteria is off of those labels that we think that we need to do or that we think we need to look this way or we think we need to be at Lori's stage in in her her journey when we just are starting out. You know, we're talking, you know, I think Lori said she was 60-something or uh, something like that. You, we, we want to look at these people and think, well, why am I not there? You know, I, I've been through all this stuff and I should be, I've gone from victim and I should have been to vitality by now. Well, we can't compare our journey to theirs yes. because and our that's when I throw, mm-hmm. That's when I throw in the song, The Climb. It's not about how fast you get there. It's uh, or, or, or what's waiting on the other side. It's about the climb. And as long mm-hmm. as you keep climbing, you're going to be fine. Mm-hmm. I love you that. I love that. Yeah. Yes. And then uh, I also want to mention labels too. Um, my my son was diagnosed with uh, ADHD, so I would say I have an ADHD t- child, you know. And and I was corrected and said put the diagnosis after the child. So I have a child who is diagnosed with ADHD. I used to say I am bipolar, and now I say yes. I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. You know, I am not my disease. I am not my um, diagnosis. I am, you know, my therapist says, you're not your diagnosis. You are a mother. You are an artist. You are, you know, um, a sister. You're a daughter. You're, um, 
You know, now I'm a traveler, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. went to some of the places I want to go to. Um, yeah. You know, there's so many other things we can label ourselves besides just, I'm a mom, that's all I am, and that's all I'll ever be. You know, um, yeah. if we really look, okay. you know, people go, oh, I wish I was creative. I wish yeah. we are all creative. We've creatively made it to whatever age we're at. I, I'm going to be 61 yeah. at the end of the month. You know, yeah. and I creatively made it to this point. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I do art and I do writing. People say, oh, I mm-hmm. wish I could write. So I hand them a piece of paper and a pencil. I say, can you write a sentence? They write, the cat ran across the road. They, they yeah. hand it back and I look at it and they go, really look at it and they go, you're a writer. Or they'll say, exactly. I wish I could draw. They say, I wish I could draw. So I hand them a piece of paper and they draw a stick figure and I go, give me that. And I look at it like I'm really intensely looking at it, you know, and then I hand it, I go, oh, you're an artist, you know. I said, you know, we define it by what we learn in school. We got to, you know, do the right punctuation and the right mm-hmm. spelling and the right, and we we really stifle ourselves. <laughs> we you do. Know, well, and that's funny because I'm an author coach, and I run into that all the time, and I'm like, you just scribble it down on paper we aren't i you a writer does not have to be an editor you can be a yeah. writer and then hire an editor you know cuz right. to me uh, you know we we get all these things and that is one of those things where you know it's a good example that is a label that we have put on us i'm not a writer because and then we've got this conditioned response that we're thinking, okay, a writer is someone who edits everything perfectly and is grammatically correct, like my eighth grade English teacher said. Yeah. You know, and I'm thinking, and I get people get on to me all the time because my grammar's not not perfect, and I'm like, you guys just got to give me a break. I said, I am yeah. I am Native American, I'm Apache Indian, and British. If that's not messed up, I don't know what else is. I'm from <laughs> I'm from Texas, and I was thrown in the hill country of Missouri, and I was like, I am I'm just an all mixed up Heinz 57 mess, you know, when it comes yeah. to grammar. And uh, and I said I try to clean it up so you guys I, I can understand. I don't even explain. I don't even explain. I just ask them if they're the grammar police. Yeah. <laughs> and I tell people, yeah. I said, well, you need to go back and ask all those people that are grammar Nazis. You need to go back and ask them how much money they make every year on their writing. Most of them yeah. make zero dollars because they're English teachers. They're not writers at all. Yeah. You know? Right. And so. But that's that I, I'm making a joke, but this is this is one of those labels that we've put on ourselves that isn't really ours and it hinders yeah. us from going ahead and doing what maybe we were set out to do. You know, and this yeah. is something cricket is in one of my coaching programs for, for for writing a book. And and you know, and this is something that she's probably heard me say a thousand times. Just get it down on paper. We'll clean right. it up later, you know, but right. we don't because we're hindered by what we think somebody else, uh, you know, has told us that we're supposed to do. And so well, my, fair, my therapist told me to start journaling and, and I got yeah. like one paragraph by the next week and, and she's like, well, I thought you might, you might have a little bit more than this. And I said, well, I had to rewrite it a bunch of times, you know, in pencil mm-hmm. first. 
and kept erasing mm-hmm. it and repuncting, you know, this and that. And she goes, mm-hmm. just write it down, like you said. Just write it down. And, I mean, you look at my journals. I got drawings around there. I got some words mm-hmm. are big and giant, and some are all capitalized, mm-hmm. and some are really dark, and mm-hmm. I really dug the pencil or pen in yeah. the paper, yeah. you know. And some, yeah. are, you know, little teeny letters, you know. And, I mean, just yeah. all my writing is completely different. And, you know, it, it's because of how I was feeling at the time, you know, and so it's really fancy, you know, because that's just how mm-hmm. I felt, you know, real carefree. And, you know, just because I just did what my therapist said, just write, just get it down, however you feel, right. you know. Right. Yeah, get there's it down. no way to do it. You no right clean or wrong it up way to do it. Right. And right. I, 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 I it around it. You're just doing this for you. You're not doing this for, you know, like the whole world to read. You're just, you're just writing in a journal, you know. And I did. I ended up the, publishing a book out of some of the stuff that I wrote. Yeah. Sonova yeah. made me a writer because I kept saying I'm not a writer. So she asked me to do a guest blog and that's why I'm a writer, but I am working on a book. <laughs> Yeah, see, she's like, I'm not a writer, I'm not a writer, and I said, I said, well, you know all about this case, and she was wanting me to write a blog post at the time I was, you know, trying to advertise cold cases and things, and uh, and I was like, well, I don't have time, you do it, and uh, and she's like, okay, I I can, I can, I can, I was like, just get it down, I'll clean it up, and uh, finally she did that, and and then I published it on my blog, and I was like, what do you know, you're a published writer now. You know, and that's what it is. And we need to be able to push past those limiting beliefs. Um, you know, I've been calling them labels, but that's really what they are. They're limiting beliefs and limiting mindsets that say we can't do what we're called to do because of. And most of the time, everything that comes after the word of is 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 nonsense. It's one of those things where we. And, and this maybe comes from the background that I'm from, you know, being a preacher's daughter. Uh, I've studied, every, you know, all these different things. But the, the deal is, is I believe that every human being that is born on this planet have a purpose for being here. Um, now, we might make choices. We might be raised in a, an environment that's toxic and it molds us into something else. We might you know, have different things happen to us that changes our course. But I believe that we all were here for a reason and there was a purpose for us. And it's kind of sad to think that most of the humans that come through this journey haven't fulfilled what they were called to do. If we had, we wouldn't have war. We wouldn't have greed. We wouldn't have uh, child abuse or or domestic violence because if every human that came through this journey fulfilled what they were called to do, this place would be a paradise. And so I know for a fact we haven't done that. And so this is where we want to really understand that when we have this deep inside urge to write a book or or to make uh, some beautiful piece of art and give it to someone hurting down the street, when we have that deep urge to do it, there's a reason. You don't know that person hurting down the street may be on the verge of suicide because they think no one in this planet cares. And then you hand them your beautiful piece of art 
and that is what saves their life. You never know. And so I always tell you, if there's that deep urge in there, but then all of these limiting beliefs are trying to hold you back, you have to, it's your duty to push through them because you never know who you're going to touch on down the road. You know, I, I, I made the example that we're all just like hamsters in our own little hamster balls banging around. Well, how many people are you supposed to bump into on your journey through here? How many people are you supposed to touch and then those hamster balls go off and touch another person and touch five people here and ten people there? And the number of people that you and your life touches is astronomical. We just can't understand that because we don't see it with our eyes. But this is where I feel like it is your job to get from victim to vitality so you can come back on programs like this and talk with, uh, with us on these panels and explain to those that are still in the trenches trying to survive that this is, there is hope out there, that there is a reason to keep pushing through. There's a reason to tear off labels and relabel um, because no telling how many people are listening right now. But no telling how many people are going to listen to the replay and then tell their friends about it and then tell their, you know, their neighbor who's hurting or all this little bits of information that we have put out into the air uh, and online this evening, we don't know who all it's going to touch. It might touch somebody on the other side of the globe before it's done. And that I believe is one phrase or one concept, whatever. Uh, incorporated in somebody's life that's listening can can yeah, have that you. ripple effect as well. And I did want yeah. to say, too, that if I had got kicked out of my last place, which they tried to kick me out, it would have been my 20th time homeless. And I can tell you, when I was out there on the street walking around and somebody would just smile at me or say, hi, how you doing? And just with a smile. It was maybe the only smile I saw that day, maybe the only friendly thing anybody ever said. People don't have to win the lottery to help a million people or one person. All they have to do is, and kindness is free. You know, mm-hmm. saying it great is, things, yeah. kindness is, is just as free as saying something mean. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it, is. it and makes I, somebody feel so much better. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, see, that's the thing. we can touch people without even, we think, oh, well, we don't have the ability or I'm not capable. You know, I tell people, you know, I want to be, I want to be the next Tony Robbins. I want to be bigger than Tony Robbins. You know, of course I'm five foot two and a half. I'm never going to be bigger than Tony Robbins, you know, but I think of him and, and what he's, you know, the people that he's touching. And I want to touch twice that many people. Why? Because I know that if I can touch people, it will change their lives, and that could change somebody else's life. That could change somebody else's, you know. But the thing is, is we, I, I, I kind of come back to, you know, because those of you that heard my first um, uh, time on the show, I always had to battle an inferiority complex. And so that's why I was always overachieving. But my thought is, is well, I can't do that. And then I thought, I have to. I, I can't not try because I don't know that there's not some 13-year-old girl out there cutting herself because she doesn't think she's beautiful. And she is the most yeah. beautiful thing on this planet. 
she just can't see it. And something that I say saves her life. To me, that is more important than my in battle with an inferiority complex or my incapability of getting my message out to the world. If I just get it to that one girl, you know, um, that to me is more powerful than, 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 you know, being the next big household name because right. we yeah. don't know who, well, and the thing is, is that 13-year-old girl might be the one that finds a cure for cancer. You know, and if I hadn't said something to encourage her, she would have had had died and never fulfilled her potential. You know, so this is why I think programs like this is so powerful. Well, you know, I can't. Twenty-one. You know, when I was twenty-one, I'll be sixty-one now. So forty years ago, I couldn't put three words together, but I had that feeling too. I have to get Mm -hmm. past this because I have to tell my story. Because it might help one other person. And I mm-hmm. wake up in the morning and, and uh, my prayer is, you know, help me, you know, make through the day, feel good about myself, and let me help one other person with something mm-hmm. I say or do, you know. And, yeah. that, and that's what and I want to try to do. If you have one other person, if you do goal. that every day, it's 365 people that you've helped yeah. in a year. Yep. If you just have yep. one person. And you know and, that and you, I count, you touch more I count smiling at somebody and, and waving at them or smiling at a kid in the store whose parent maybe, mm-hmm. you know, that looks really sad, you know, and you wonder if they ever got a smile that day or that week or whatever, or mm-hmm. a kind word, just a little wave or something, you know, and a smile. You just never know that might, no. you know, that might give that kid a little bit of, you know, hope because that's what got yeah. me through People just right. giving me little bits and pieces that all added up to a big thing. Mm-hmm. Well, think about several it. Years 40, ago. Years, 40 years ago, you were in that place, and yeah. if nobody had ever smiled at you, if nobody had ever extended a hand yeah. of friendship to you, if no one yeah. had ever showed you kindness or love, you probably yeah. wouldn't have been here. I mean, no. you and know, I didn't there, want to leave that mental hospital. That first mental hospital, I knew I was safe because I didn't feel locked in. I felt all the abusers were locked out, and I was protected. They literally mm-hmm. had to throw me out the freaking door. Yeah. yeah. You know. Lucky, and, and the they thing. needed to. We don't know I was ready, we can... but I, I didn't feel I was ready. But they, they insisted yeah. I was. And, you yeah. know, I did. Yeah. I made it. Yeah. Yeah. A few years well, ago... With you talk about you never know who you're going to reach or how you're going to reach them. Right. My first job was a camp counselor. Um, a few years ago, a young woman who also goes by cricket, when I heard her story, I had tears in my eyes. She was a camper at nine. It was her first time, and I was her favorite camper. So she goes by cricket. All these years. I, I had tears in my eyes. <laughs> but that just shows you just don't know. Yeah. And and when she was there, I was only there for two weeks. It wasn't yeah. there a whole summer. So. Right. So she, yeah. I was on uh, MySpace. I was on MySpace, and this will bait me right there, but I was on MySpace, and I joined this group for survivors, and this lady came on, and, you know, I was telling a little bit of my story, so she started asking me questions privately, 
and I was answering her. And then she started asking complicated questions like legal things and other kind of stuff. So I searched in the web and sending her links and this and that, you know. Wasn't as easy to find things back then. And anyway, right. she said herself. And then I didn't hear from her for a long time. So I, of course, think, oh my God, it must have been something that offended her, you know. Right. <laughs> That's the way I thought back then. Well, then she called me, and I'll tell you what, I still get a frog in my throat when I say this story. But she starts to me, she says, uh, I just want to thank you for all the time you spent telling me your story and helping me out. No difference, like, since I was gone, like, this week or the week before I left, no difference. Mm -hmm. It's all that coffee I drank with decaf. I bought it by accident. Okay. And I put it in the bath. And then when I came home here, I was Can you, can you mute me, Mike? You know, the decaf, I don't on the line, but we need you to mute your mic. Go ahead, Carol. Uh, I mean, sorry, what was oh, it? Victoria. I forgot yeah. your name. Yeah. So, yeah, there you go. Um, okay. So, anyway, she writes back, and thank you for all the help you've given me, and, and thank you for, you know, sharing this information and everything. Because now my four-year-old grandchild will never be molested by her father again. Oh, my she goodness. Thank God. Oh, my and, goodness. That's and I tell you wonderful. what, I Ah, uh, that's right. When I when I knew I needed to keep writing my story and telling my story, and shortly after that is when I found Bill Murray with uh, NASCA, the founder, uh-huh. you know, and uh, uh, started talking to him. And I had so much shame about my story that I surely wasn't going to tell that part of it. I was already talking about being used in prostitution, pornography, and bat- being a battered woman, but I didn't share that part of my story, you know, about my child abuse. Yeah. Because it went on until I was 21, until I escaped. And I wasn't going to tell that part until I talked to Bill. And I came on this show years ago and told my story for the first time in in all the shame. Not all the shame, but a lot of the shame just kind of drained off me. I can't even tell you the the difference from one day to the next. I was scared to death the whole time before I went on. But I tell you what. Just the way that, you know, if anybody's listening, anybody's a survivor or professional, please come on the show because it makes a world of difference. It really does. Mm-hmm. Well, and the thing is, is and this is something that I'm, I'm glad you brought up. There's one word that you said, and we need to understand this. Um, and, and those of that have kind of come through it and are on the other side can look back and say this easier. And, and I realize that. But the shame is not yours. The shame was what was done to you and those that did it to you. And that's where uh, people need to understand the shame is not yours. Don't take that shame onto yourself and make that your label. Don't take it. That is a label that belongs to the abuser. That is not a label that belongs to the victim. And yet as victim... We, we try to, to take this on ourselves, and then we try to cope with it. That label is not able to be held. You cannot mm-hmm. hold that label and reach your potential. You cannot hold that label and get from victim to vitality. That is a label that you must replace because it's not yours in the first place. And, and well, I think I was, that's I so, I'm so good that you I mentioned was, that. I was confused with, um, I kept confusing the words um, um, shame and guilt. And 
until yeah. I yeah. read a book called Healing the Shame That Binds You, and I defined it. Guilt is something uh-huh. that you did, like, you know, mm-hmm. I stole something. And, mm-hmm. and shame is about you, you know. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. um, you know, you feel that way, whatever. But once I put the guilt back on the person that needed that guilt on them, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like you said, the shame is not yours, and and Mm-mm. shame is can drag you down to the deepest pit of mm-hmm. I've been there. <laughs> right. Well, and times, the shame, the shame is something is one of those things that. Because you're, this is the thing. I always get off into science, and and people people are like, well, I I don't care about science. Well, I like it because I know if I can figure out how this electronic switching station in my head works, if I can figure out how it works, I know I can hack it towards success. You know what I mean? If I can figure out how the system works. We can we can angle it. We can work the system, work with the system, and not against it. You know, but I know that 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 reticular activating system, that RAS or that BS filter, it is going to react based on what you put in that labeling system. And if you have shame or guilt in there, that RAS is going to hinder you thing that you set out to do. Because shame and guilt are two very powerful things that attach to your emotions. And anything that you have a strong emotional attachment to, whether good or bad, it amplifies that RAS up to where it will not, it will not differ from it because it thinks it's so much more important than anything else. And shame and guilt are two of the strongest uh, attachments. The emotion that's attached to those two things is so strong, it's almost impossible to achieve anything in spite of that. So you must relabel that and get that out because it will absolutely hinder you for the rest of your life. And if you think about it in just a, you know, an objective reality, looking at it, you know, that wasn't yours to take on in the first place. Throw it back. You know, take that label off, put it where it belongs, and put on there that you are loved, you are valuable, you are the highest form of creation on this planet, and that you are a, or you are a valuable being and get that guilt and shame label out of there. Now, we've got about one minute. Um, Anne, do we have some kind of music that's going to sing us out of here? We do, and Bill is going to play that music. And thank you for uh, a wonderful, wonderful show. Thank you, everyone, who contributed to the show tonight. Love Talk Radio.